Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Happy Sunday. I hope everybody's had a great weekend. Sorry I'm a little late tonight. Had some uh, technical difficulties, but uh, we're ready to go. We're broadcasting tonight on YouTube, at Facebook, to Twitch, and TikTok. And I want to welcome every, every, you know, everybody that's over from TikTok. Let me uh, get my chat room up. Okay. My name is Charlotte. I'm going to be the uh, host for the next hour or so, and I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. We're uh, 45 strong up and down the state, which means if you have a paranormal problem, we can help you. It might take us a while to get to you because California is this huge state. But uh, we will get to you. And in the case we can't get you right away, we do have psychics on staff that can call you and help you out. Anyway, TikTok, I just want to give you fair warning. I have old eyeballs, so you are on my iPhone 11 so I cannot see your comments, but I appreciate each and every one of your comments that you have. All right. If you guys are watching from Facebook tonight, and a lot of you are, please be sure to hit that follow button if you haven't done so already. And be sure to show me some love. Show me some thumbs up, some hearts, and some happy faces. Also, be sure to comment in the comment section because what that does is that puts us up higher in the FYP so more people see us. That's just how the computers work. Same thing with YouTube. If you're watching from YouTube tonight, show me some love. Give me some thumbs up, comments. And if you haven't done so already, subscribe on YouTube. We have over 800 videos sitting over there, all of this show. We broadcast Monday. Uh, we broadcast Sunday through Friday. And Sunday is a special day because Sunday is the day we do reading. Because a lot of people, not psychic readings, because a lot of people are trying are starting to wind down. It's 6 o'clock in California. And, you know, you got people now, it's, it's nine something back east and everywhere else and, and eight o'clock in other places. And people are starting to wind down from their weekends. So I, I always think this is a nice way to wind down. I always read from a, a paranormal themed book on Sundays. And uh, I've always tried to get a true encounter of paranormal, just like we're reading Omnipresent, what happened next tonight. And a quick synopsis for everybody who might be listening, or I see you guys on TikTok. Uh, Actually, before we do that, let's do one thing. I'm going for 4,000 likes on TikTok. So if you could help me out with that, double tap that screen, double tap that screen while I'm doing this, 4,000 likes. I'm just trying to build up my presence on TikTok. I'm getting there. We're going to be offering a lot more on the TikTok channel, and you're going to be seeing that over the next coming weeks. You're going to see me a lot more. You're going to see Karen Clark, our psychic, a lot more. We're going to do live readings. We're going to do, we're, we're going to do tarot card readings. You name it. We're going to be doing it. Okay? We're a full-service paranormal team. So if you could double tap that screen for me, I'd really appreciate 4,000 likes. Let's see if we can get those before the night's over. Anyway, back to Omnipresent. Lynn Monet, who is the author and publisher of Omnipresent, uh, was working real hard and ended up buying her family a new home. Well, as they were doing, as they weren't even moving in yet. They, they were doing the work on the house, right? And as this was happening, she realized she had a couple of dark entities in the house. And it was so bad that even, even when they tried to get him removed, they just wouldn't remove. So she finally had to move out and sell her house. Well, this is the second part to that book. And this is uh, omnipresent what happened next. And this is what happened, obviously, afterwards. Lynn realized that, that, that she had abilities to help people. So she is now uh, helping people you know, with, with their uh, paranormal issues. And so we're going to talk about a lot of things. We've covered aliens in this book. We're going to... We're going to be covering time travel and things like that in this book. So I hope you like it. I hope it's something you guys like. And uh, like I said, give me some thumbs up and stuff. Help me out, especially over at TikTok. Double tap that screen. So I'm going to read for about an hour or maybe because we're real close to finishing this book. So maybe less than an hour. I don't know. But uh, I have allergies too. So we're going to be reading for about an hour. And I really appreciate you guys showing me some love if, if you enjoy it. All right, guys, here we go. Let me get this up. I want to enlarge this because, like I said, I'm a blind bat, so give me a second. And like I said, I would love nothing more than to than, than to answer your uh, comments over here on TikTok, but it's not going to happen, okay? I, I know you're there, okay? Also, I have a subscription thing going on on TikTok. If you subscribe, you become part of my boot crew. And uh, the benefits of that are, you know, when we hit 50 subscribers on TikTok, we're going to go ahead and do some gift giveaways and things, and maybe I'll even give some subscription giveaways. Like I said, I'm just starting out on TikTok. That's why if you can help me out with, with uh, double tapping for likes, I'd appreciate it. I'm just trying to build things up and get things rolling on TikTok. So, all right. So here we go with Omnipresent. What happened next? We are in Chapter 13, Interdimensional Viewing and Traveling Between the Dimensions by Lynn Monet. In the vast multiverse... 
Entities are referred to as extra-dimensional beings. Extra-dimensional beings are unique to their planes, of which there are 12 that we know about, though some believe there are 19 or even more. Upper planes all exist at the same time and occupy the same space. They have seven lower circles. Each has their own energetic frequency, color, and vibration. Frequency refers to the state of awakening and consciousness. Vibration refers to an energetic source or light within humans that they resonate. A human can physically be on the third dimension and raise or de decrease their vibration through their conscious decisions and actions. In other words, through their conscious decisions and actions. I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. In other words, a physically grounded third dimension person can also be, you can see how it's going to go tonight, can also be on the fifth dimension because their consciousness is there. This is called ascension. It is the third, in this third reality, it is often a hard task to evolve from its hold. It takes a lot of determination, enlightenment, and constant actions that are greatly rewarded. As stated in a previous chapter, every soul seeks this ascension spiritually, whether they know it or they not, don't know it. It is a subtle hunger, a craving for the ambrosia. This is ignored by many and often dulled out by addictive behaviors. Addictive behaviors are third dimension and lower. Such behaviors can hold a soul in the fourth dimension after death. Needless to say, it is very important to address one's denial of addiction, if they have one, and clean it up here on Earth. Before, oh, clean it up here on Earth before passing. Some cross over and some do not. It depends on the level of addiction, what type, and if the soul desires help or not. Humans can have energetic and astral access to the first five dimensions from the third dimension. Earth is a third dimension space. Unfortunately, Many humans are comfortable remaining at that third level and prefer to stay in their limited awareness. They don't advance, and some of the time, lower their vibration. It's all about choice and a realm in which there's no discrimination and equal opportunity for all. A multiverse does not mean that all entities are allowed on each plane. For instance, demons and aliens are not permitted past the fourth dimension. This is what we call the heavenly planes or the other side. Demon forms can also be seen traveling through the underground ley lines in and out of earthly veils from the darkness often created by vortexes or man-made negligence. I agree with this as a paranormal investigator from my end. The upcoming and new generations will be able to surpass even the fifth dimension. These generations are referred to as the indigo children, who were born between 1978 and 1988, and the crystal children, mostly born in the 90s. When nurtured by their surroundings and encouraged to do so, people born in this generation have the ability to travel many planes energetically. They're able to do or to be in two or more planes at the same time. They'll be able to attain the ascension that a lot of people on Earth seek but never find. Having the ability to peer into this alternate reality is known as interdimensional viewing. Interdimensional viewing is an ability all are born with and it is not exclusive to humans. Often, because of one's upbringing, this ability to see interdimensionally can be shut down at early age. In society, this filter on TikTok makes me have a nose like Liza Minnelli. Look at that. It's like Pinocchio. Pinocchio nose. Okay, guys, if you like what you hear, double tap that screen, double tap that screen. In society, children who voice what they see interdimensionally are often told they're not seeing anything that nothing is there, or that ghosts do not exist. Some may be told it is a deceased loved one or guardian angel watching over them. Others are disciplined by their family and church for having this ability. Psychological studies have shown that children between birth and age five do not have the mental filters known as discernment. Not having these filters in place from a spiritual standpoint allows them to effortlessly access different interdimensional planes, especially the one they have just recently come from. These filters, discernment, separate our earthly plane from the multiverse. The filters thicken as the child gets older, often slowing or decreasing the child's ability to see interdimensionally through puberty. How much of their ability to remain grounded in both planes is maintained depends on how a child is nurtured and supported by the important figures around them. People's filters are thinnest at, each, at the end of their life. 
Children are born with the ability to see interdimensionally, and people who are on the other end of the spectrum, who are preparing to leave this earthly plane, have thinner filters separating the dimensions as well. As a person nears the end of their life, their mental filter softens again to allow them to prepare to move on to the next dimension. When a child has an invisible friend or speaks of seeing someone the adults cannot, it is often because the child, with their lack of mental filter, perceives spirits or beings from another plane. This is this interdimensional ability ah, option <laughs> can often be interfered with by, by others telling the child that their visible friend is not real or not there. It's always important to make sure the invisible friend is not making the child feel uncomfortable or asking them to do something that they, they would get in trouble for. There are many kids of spirit, and some are not always what they appear to be. The filters continually th thicken as a child approaches age five. This is the stage where most children do not speak of their invisible friend as much. On the other hand, for people who are preparing to leave this earth, the thickened filters will efface gradually until the filter is completely gone. Spirits communicate with thought waves. They can hear when being spoken to out loud. They can hear conversations being embodied soul, between embodied souls. They can help when asked. Loved ones who have crossed over and the angelic realm like helping, however. Since their vibration is higher than those on Earth, they can only enter this plane to assist when things on the earthly realm are in a calmer state. For instance, if one is dying or angry, the approach of loved ones from the other side can intensify the emotion. Therefore, the spirit realm must pull back and wait for a less emotional time to approach. Remember, guys, this, this channel is PG-13, resting on R. If you hear something tonight that you don't like, you're not comfortable with, just move on. You know, Don't turn me into the TikTok police or the Facebook police or any place like that. There's plenty of other pages for people you can listen to. Okay? I'm just telling you, you know, right now. Just trying to move this over a little bit. Excuse me. Tell you my allergy bad. The saying that a spirit loved one can often help an embodied loved one more from the other side than they could when they were on earth is true. It's unfortunately, it's unfortunate, but many embodied souls take the easy route through life and choose not to evolve. They never regain their ability to both see and hear interdimensionally. They remain fearful of seeing spirits. Okay. Hang on, I got issues. Okay. All right. There we go. Now I found it. They stay stuck, or worse, they become darker. They only get to experience and view the effects of one's reality once they have left their body and crossed over. Ascension is not, is not a given. Palm Beach College professor Raymond W. Sweet, Ph.D., who had a near-death experience, stated that after leaving his body, the ability to view interdimensionally opened for him. While he was in between the veils of the multiverse, he was able to energetically view into six spaces, or six places equally at one time. I was floating comfortably in the tunnel, Sweet said. As he floated along the interdimensional tunnel, he was viewing each of his five out of six remaining children and his new wife at the same time. I could feel the emotions of what my death significance would be to each one, he said. It was as if I was standing with each one of them. He went so far as to describe what each of his children were wearing and what they were doing at that moment. Being beyond the interdimensional curtain, he was able to glance into each of his children's futures. He realized that each of his children would be okay if he stayed on the other side. However, his new wife was, was from a different country and was still getting acclimated to American life. She could not even drive yet. I was given the option to return, Sweet said, and I did. Once he came back into his body, his ability to see into to be able to see interdimensionally subsided, yet he could still recall everything that happened in his experience. Sometimes, increasing one's ability to discern beyond the earthly realm is as simple as acknowledging the realization of other dimensional beings. Old people have seen interdimensional beings. Okay, they often are not aware of it being what it was. The spirit realm walks among us. Some people have a stronger sensitivity than others. Most people who see a spirit will respond with fear or discomfort. This fear is the main reason people cannot see their loved ones who have crossed over. 
Oftentimes, loved ones have to wait to make their assistance known because of the emotional state that the earth, that the earth body's soul is experiencing at that time. If the still embodied person is sad, the sadness will be increased as the spirit gets closer to assist. It's not that spirits don't hear their loved one when the loved one asks for their help, because they do. They just don't want to exasperate the situation and make it worse. Some earthly religions teach that when a person sees a spirit, even if it is comforting and familiar, such as a loved one, that the spirit is, that the spirit is a demon or should be shunned. Traditional religions do not want to upset the status quo. They teach people to shun anything different from, their, from the interpretation of the Holy Bible that their conversation uses. Again, this is her opinion. This is her research. This is not reflected by California Haunts Radio. Okay? Traditional religion teaches followers to be afraid because of, the, because of the church's own fear of losing money of the followers who attend. A church relies on its followers' money to exist. Religion is a huge money-making business. Too bad they do not have stock that one could invest in. It would be a great investment for constant gains. The Bible has been changed and altered a great deal over the 2,000 years. Okay, What exists now, which are used in present-day churches, are copies. The first of these present-day copies were made hundreds of years after the events of the Bible took place. The first Bibles were handmade. There were no printing presses or technology that we have today to assure that old copies were identical. This led to omissions, errors, and many different versions. Some people believe there have been no changes made to the Bible over the centuries. However, when King James I of England commissioned his translation of the Bible, he gave specific instructions to his translators about which sources to use and what content to omit. The books of the Apocrypha, at the, uh, of the Apocrypha, I'm trying guys, were removed from the King James Version around 1769. This is the version all Christian religions today base their beliefs on. In addition to the removal of information, there have been discoveries of other ancient documents that conflict with existing biblical canon as well. Multiple biblical translations were derived from the Textus Receptus, as each translation of the Bible, modern or otherwise, was done by different people. There are undoubtedly inconsistencies between them. Despite this, it seems most Christians in the world believe their Bible is the correct one, unaware of the extent of how much they may have been omitted or mistranslated. Some of the highest planes are not open to human souls. The twelfth dimension in numerology is a combination of numbers one and two joined. The number one is the fusion of unity, and two is duality. The earth humans live on is the third dimension, or three-dimensional. On the current plane of Earth, people are embodied to function with their surroundings. On other planes, human bodies may or may not be needed. Some beings travel purposefully between dimensions with ease and can appear either embodied or disembodied, whichever is needed for that purpose. For instance, has not anyone ever wondered how a very large, extremely smelly being such as Bigfoot can become odorless? and completely disappear when cornered? According to multiple sources, there have been 1,300 sightings in the state of Pennsylvania, 2,032 sightings in Washington state, and 1,340 in California in 2019. These sightings have been photographed by people. Witnesses have reported that these sightings have an overwhelming methane smell that can be recognized from significant distances away. There is evidence of footprints, yet in an instant, Bigfoot can disappear smell and all, when pursued by people trying to, find, trying to find and trap them. Perhaps Bigfoot can evade capture because it has the ability to travel multidimensionally. Makes sense. It is able to enter through the dimensional curtain or veil and go between planes through portals at will, or at least use the veil separating the planes for camouflage. Bigfoot can enter portals and transport to other locations, and then exit through a different portal in a desired location. Even in this modern day and age, where awareness is heightened, traditional religion does not support the possibility of this interdimensional travel. They continue to shun it. Children learn to deny to fit with the norm. The longer they are disconnected from their ability, the less familiar they are with it. Most people end up becoming terrified of entities from when 
you know, from other realms and avoid even talking about such things because it disturbs them or they find it creepy. But they really know that such things exist, whether they admit it or not. When looked at directly, the frequency shifts. One who is not experienced and open to seeing will see nothing. Yet the vision one had, one had in their peripherals will still, still be there. Both the frontal interdimensional viewing and peripheral viewing can be enhanced. This happens through meditation, silencing one's mind, acknowledging the ability without fear or anticipation, and prayer to one's higher source. There is a difference between seeing interdimensionally and seeing entities from other dimensions on, on, on this earth plane. Seeing interdimensionally is the ability to peer in other dimensions of the multiverse from one's earthbound status. Seeing entities from other planes here on Earth's plane is the ability to see the frequencies those entities have on Earth. Every person has their own unique frequency. When entities are seen on the Earth's plane's frequencies, they often create a waffling effect in the air. Sometimes one might see a limb or face peeking through the veil and then the entire body. Some will appear through the veil separating the planes. Others may appear through portals. And some are wandering souls that are stuck earthbound. A soul choosing not to cross over and staying earthbound creates issues for inhabitants of the earth plane. The earthbound soul often loses their way and ends up inhabiting one's home as an unwelcome guest. Other types of entities come through portals such as aliens and demons. Aliens sometimes use their interdimensional veils between planes to camouflage. They camouflage their spaceships in the sky. Actually, I've interviewed people about this on this very show. They camouflage their spaceships in the sky, right? They work through the veil to manipulate experiments on or the Earth and to collect samples from earthly animals, such as the documented cow mutilations all over the world. They watch the human species through the veil. And in Lynn's experience, author, check in with humanoid-looking aliens that have been placed here on Earth living amongst humans. I've been thought that for a long time, too. Demons use interdimensional vortex-type portals that are created by energetic ley lines where the energy pools. They use these in man-made portals as well for travel. This is huge in paranormal investigating. We're always looking at the ley lines. <clears throat> if you guys like what you hear, double tap that screen. Please double tap that screen. Help me out. Show me some love. The portals that are opened by man can occur innocently. That's me. I'm sorry. It's my chair. <laughs> they can be opened with an Ouija board. A Ouija board should never be used by someone who does not understand their capability and should not be used for recreation. A person also needs to understand that once the portal is open, the entities and spirits that one calls in may choose to leave, and with that portal left open, more can follow. These portals do not close automatically once they're open. That's what a lot of people don't understand. She's right about the Ouija boards. Portals can also be created off ley lines for, for entry into other realms. The energetic flow of the ley lines naturally encircles the Earth as a geometric grid-like formation, as originally taught by Plato 2,500 years ago. The energy is strongest where the ley lines cross each other, creating energetic vortexes. Many ancient historical sites have been built along ley lines. It is believed that areas such as Machu Picchu and Peru were built directly on the electromagnetic current for a purpose that is unknown. Ley lines are like the Earth's veins that emit electromagnetic waves. Portals, which are different than vortexes, are spiritual openings, like a doorway or exit ramp off the, off the ley lines. Ley lines seem to correlate with star constellations and appear to be geographic straight lines for sites that are magnetically measurable. It is believed by some that the ley lines and the vortexes are used for alien travel. The electromagnetic fields can be seen by the aliens from the sky. Thank you. These vortexes can be used as landing paths or entrances into the Earth. Many UFO sightings are seen regularly near these portals throughout the world, according to experts. They are able to travel between the dimensions and camouflage themselves with the interdimensional veils that separate the dimensions. Most humans have the ability to do this when they leave their bodies. However, <clears throat> my allergies, man. There are some humans on Earth that have evolved through enlightening practices. 
which enables them to see between the veils. Humans can maintain this ability from childhood. Their souls can also relearn it. Embodied souls who elevate their frequencies through prayer and spiritual involvement, involvement can, tra can travel interdimensionally during their dreams, meditations, and intended astral projections. Often, they can communicate with loved ones and the, the entities that they come across. They can receive guidance from glorious masters and teachers from the heavenly realm. It takes consistent work and dedication on the embodied soul's part to achieve this and follow the flow of what one's mind contains at the present moment. If, in the present moment, a person's mind is generating hatred, animosity, jealousy, ill will, resentment, or other harmful thoughts, the effect of these thoughts will manifest on them first. In other words, if one contains negativity and is generating the negativity, they are the first victim of their own negativity. They will be miserable. A person cannot expect peace, harmony, joy, and happiness when they are generating negativity. When a person generates negativity, they often blame outside sources as a cause. They may find fault with others. One may be under the wrong impression that one is miserable because a significant other or other person abused them or insulted them, or perhaps something one wanted did not happen, or something one did not want did happen. People remain deluded for their entire life here on Earth, influenced by the negativity of external reasons. They avoid going within oneself to observe the reality and real cause of one's misery. Similarly, when a person's mind is full of, is full of and generates goodwill, compassion, and love genuinely and without expectation, one begins to experience more happiness, harmony, joy, and peace. As is stated on Vrihama.org, suppose someone abuses me and I become miserable. Between these two events, something very important happens inside me, but that link remains unknown to me. When someone abuses me, I start generating anger and hatred. I start reacting with negativity. Only then do I become miserable, not because somebody has abused me, nor because something unwanted has happened. Rather, it is because I am reacting to these outside things. This is the real cause of my misery. You cannot understand me. It is important to control one's thoughts and spoken words for one's own behalf, benefit. One should manifest great things for oneself. All right, guys, if you like what you hear, show me some love. Chapter 14, we're going to talk about the author. Okay? And uh, we're going to talk about the author, Lynn Monet. If you like what you're hearing, if you like this kind of stuff, double tap that screen over there, show me some love, give me some likes and, and stuff over on, on uh, StreamYard over here for you guys. Hello, it's good to see you guys. Who we got? All right, here we go. Continuing on. Chapter 14. Tap, double tap that screen. To TikTok, double tap that screen. Lynn was born on May, in May of 1963 in Sarasota, Florida. Her family moved to the east coast of Florida when she was two years old. Her family was Presbyterian and attended church on Sundays. Her mother, Phyllis, was a licensed beautician who became a housewife and stay-at-home mother after marrying Lynn's father. Lynn's father, Wayne, was a well-educated, hard-working man who had served in the United States Army during World War II as a paratrooper medic. He had a bachelor's degree in chemistry and a master's degree and PhD in mathematics. He taught math at the local junior college during the day and night classes at the university. He sometimes also taught classes at the jail for extra money to take care of his family. Lynn had five siblings, a half-sister, Mary Frances, and a half-brother, Russell from their father's first marriage. They lived with their mother in Iowa. Lynn lived with her parents and her other three siblings, her older sister, Lynn, okay, Linda, and youngest sister, Robin, and their brother, Ryan, who was the second child. Lynn was the third child of those four. The house they grew up in was haunted. Incidents started to occur almost immediately when they moved in. The home was a cement brick home with vaulted ceilings and a tile roof. It had large palm trees in the yard with a carport on a quiet street. Lynn's father loved the house, and he wanted to live near the ocean, and this house was only four miles away from the beach. A bike ride would take at most 30 minutes to get there. Lynn's house was four short, four short, short blocks <laughs> directly behind the hospital and a nursing home. 
The facilities paralleled each other. Only a service road separated them. On the other side of the hospital were woods, in which, it was later discovered, were Indian burial mounds. Often, spirits would be seen passing through Lynn's home, wearing patient gowns, or appearing as Indians or Spanish soldiers. Section, The Soldier Boy. Double tap that screen if you like what you hear, guys. One night, Lynn, who shared a bedroom with her brother, Ryan, was sleeping on the lower bunk of their bunk beds, but she was awakened by her bed trembling. The window outside was blowing as a thunderstorm was swiftly moved in. The windows in her room had lacy, see-through window coverings on them, so every flash of lightning lit up the bedroom. She lay there unable to sleep. A decorative picture of a soldier boy with a cannon Phyllis had made had been newly hung on the bedroom wall between the closet and the doorway. Each time the lightning flashed, Lynn's bed tremored and made the soldier picture appear to be moving in the dark. The thunder boomed loudly. This frightened Lynn to the point that she had frantically screamed out in the middle of the night for her mother. Phyllis came to her bedroom to see what was wrong. Lynn was very upset. The soldier is shooting at me, Lynn said. Phyllis turned on the light and showed Lynn that the picture was not real. It is not shooting at you, Phyllis said. Lynn, not fully convinced, asked for a drink of water. Phyllis returned with a glass of water and gave it to her. Who took? Lynn then took two sips, then handed the glass back. Before turning off the light, Phyllis reassured Lynn that the picture was not real. Lynn lay back down and tried to fall asleep. She tossed and turned, ending up facing a wall where she was not able to see the picture of the soldier boy. Her covers were pulled up to her nose. As she lay there, clutching her doll, her bed once again started to tremor. It seemed a little more vigorous this time, and oddly was not in sync with the lightning and thunder. Lynn thought perhaps it was her brother readjusting in the bunk overhead. She sat up in her bed and whispered to Ryan, Are you awake? With no response. Lynn lay back down again and noticed the soldier picture was turned diagonally. Just then, lightning struck near her bedroom window. The rumbling sound like sounded like cannons. Lynn covered her face and started to scream for her mother, this time waking her brother, too. Phyllis came down the hallway and turned the light on. The picture had straightened itself back to a vertical position. Lynn started to cry and begged to have the soldier boy picture taken out of the room. Phyllis removed it from the wall and showed Lynn that it was not real. Lynn wasn't satisfied and pleaded again to have it gone. Phyllis took it off the wall and placed it on the floor, leaning against the same wall. With the picture's back facing Lynn so that she could no longer see the soldier boy. Lynn decided to take advantage of her mother, standing right there, and went to use the bathroom. When Lynn returned, Phyllis kissed her goodnight and turned off the light and left the room. When Lynn woke up the next morning, the soldier boy picture was still sitting on the floor, leaning on the wall. Only it was turned back around, facing her bed. Lynn got up quickly and exited the room. She was the first one awakened that morning. So she went into her sister Linda's room and sat on the floor next to her sister's bed while Linda slept. Next incident, the carousel lamp. Phyllis had found a beautiful carousel lamp with horses all the way around in a yard sale. She thought to herself how much her oldest daughter loved horses and decided to buy it for her. Phyllis brought it home and put it in Linda's bedroom Linda really liked the lamp and was thrilled to have it. The lamp had a concerning detail. It would shock Linda whenever she touched it. Linda would tearfully report the incidences to her parents, who finally came into Linda's bedroom and unplugged the lamp. The lamp, even after being unplugged, continued to shock her when touched. Linda again reported this to her parents. They started not to believe her and treated her as if she was making it up. Finally, Linda was in her room one day while her parents were close by. When Linda touched the lamp, she reached with, the, with a pain. No, she reacted with a pain. My bad. Her parents overheard and entered the room to see if she was all right. Linda stood there with her eyes full of tears and reported again that the lamp had shocked her. Wayne checked to see if someone had plugged the light back in. It was still unplugged. He touched the lamp and drew back quickly. I got shocked, he told Phyllis. The laugh was removed, and Linda never saw it again. Next, next story, Ryan's best friend. Lynn was five years old. 
She and her brother Ryan were in their parents' master bedroom. Ryan was playing with his cars on the terrazzo floor, and Lynn was looking at her mother's jewelry box that sat on the dresser. She turned to show Ryan the pretty necklace she had put on, when she noticed Ryan sitting very still, staring at the, into the corner of the room. Lynn looked in the corner to see what her brother was so fixated on. In the corner, a, mi a misting started to thicken and grow. Movement could be seen within the mist. As they watched, the, the mist opened up. Ryan's best friend, John, along with his entire family, stepped into the room through the misty cloud. Ryan and Lynn sat looking at them. John was standing in front of his mother, father, and two siblings. And all were smiling at Ryan. Then they started to softly glow and disappeared. They never said a word. Lynn and Ryan simultaneously ran out of the room in different directions, looking for their mother. Ryan found her first. Come quickly, Ryan said. My friend, John, and his family are in your bedroom. Did you let them in, Phyllis asked. No, Ryan replied. I wonder who did and why they were in my room, Phyllis said. I didn't hear anyone knock. She quickly straightened her outfit and hair and then walked swiftly to her bedroom. When Phyllis entered her room, no one was there. She became upset. Are you playing a joke on me, she asked Ryan. No, Ryan said. They were right in that corner. And they were standing there smiling. Then they disappeared. His mother didn't believe him and chastised him for making up such a story. Lynn feared her mother's anger and stayed quiet while lingering in the doorway of the bedroom. I'm not making it up, Brian insisted, but his mom threatened to spank him for lying. Brian was in the second grade with John. The day after seeing John and his family in the master bedroom, Ryan went to school and looked for his best buddy on the bus. He wasn't there and neither were any of John's siblings. When Ryan arrived at school, John was not at his desk, either. John and Ryan's desk had always been next to each other. Ryan knew that John's parents had taken John and his siblings on the family trip over the spring break. Perhaps they weren't back yet. Once all the students were situated in their seats and had spoken at the Pledge of Allegiance, the teacher stood up in front of the room. John will not be returning to the class, she said. She sadly announced. Her voice cracked with tears. He and his entire family were in a terrible car accident yesterday and are now all in heaven. After school was over, Ryan got on the bus home. When he arrived home, his mother had already seen the article about John's family's car crash. She was upset and crying because she had been good friends with John's mother. What a tragedy it is, Philip sobbed. Shortly after seeing John and his family spirits, Phyllis could not deny her children's unique abilities. Each one had similar but different gifts. She found it embarrassing. She didn't want anyone, especially the neighbors, to find out. Phyllis feared that if word got out into the neighborhood, her family would be labeled with the, with the stigma of having mental illness. We would be shunned and avoided, she said. Lynn's father mostly stayed quiet on the subject. It would later turn out that he was the reason most of his child, children had gifts. He handled his, ability by drowning it out, handled his ability by drowning it out daily with alcohol. Since later siblings were born and raised in the 1960s to the 70s, it was not acceptable to talk about being able to see and hear things that others could not. Such a topic could get one a one-way trip straight to the psychiatric ward, escorted by men in white coats, and a lobotomy. Therefore, Lynn was told over and over again that what she had heard or seen was not there. On more than one occasion, while sitting with her mother in the living room, Lynn heard cabinets in the kitchen opening then slamming shut, or the pots and pans rattling, or both at the same time. Lynn knew her mother heard it too. There was no way she could not have, with the, with the commotion being so loud. But when Lynn would bring up the, the situation to Phyllis, what she, you know, what she had seen, just heard, she would get into trouble for mentioning it. Nothing is there, Phyllis would yell at Lynn. Ignore it. But later, Lynn overheard Phyllis telling her brother, Ryan, about the pots and pans clanging in the cabinets. It was demons, she heard Phyllis say. Several times, Lynn was in the house with Phyllis, but in a different room. I'm sorry, with Phyllis, but in a different room. But she heard a voice that sounded identical to Phyllis's calling her name. Each time, Lynn went to see what her mother wanted. I didn't say anything, Phyllis always said. 
until one of those times Phyllis finally blurted out, it was demons saying your name, ignore them. The spirits seen in Lynn's home range from familiar to unfamiliar to demonic. The demonic ones created chaos in her home often. Recollections of the events fell on deaf ears. Lynn and her siblings were not allowed to mention the paranormal activities that took place at her house, however. Lynn would overhear her older siblings speak of them with each other. When Lynn was seven years old, her mother changed religion from Presbyterian to Jehovah's Witnesses. Lynn's father remained a Presbyterian. The change was a breeding ground for demonic activity in the home. It exasperated the negative activity in the house, especially Lynn's parents fighting. There was an increase in physical violence and mental abuse from Wayne as well. Wayne's alcoholism got worse. He was an angry drunk. Okay, again, if you are uncomfortable with what I'm reading, and that goes for TikTok, Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, just take off, okay? I don't want to get shut down or anything. I'm warning you guys ahead of time. You know, this, this, this is not necessary to have to go to the authority, you know, to, 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 you know, to turn us into badass or anything like that. You don't like it. Go somewhere else, especially guys on TikTok. There's all kinds of places you can go. We're rated PG-13, rated, you know, based on R on this channel. So if you're uncomfortable with the stuff, you don't have to be here. Okay, just don't, just don't shut it down for everybody else that wants to hear. Lynn's parents were fighting almost every day about her mother's change in religion. On the rare occasion that they were not, one or more of the children were targeted by their father's wrath. Lynn's brother was chosen the most because he was attending the Jehovah's Witnesses Church with Lynn and her brother. Ryan and Lynn did not have much of a choice in the matter, but their father did not see it that way. Sometimes during his rages, their father's eyes would turn completely black. His voice would change immediately prior to a physical assault. There was rarely any peace, mostly a lot of upheaval and chaos. Dark shadows were sometimes visible in the house. It was usually during these times that someone would get physically assaulted by Wayne. Most of the time, their father would sit outside in his lawn chair in front of the house, watering the grass with a hose in one hand and a beer in the other. The neighbors called him the Claw because he seemed to always have a can of beer in his hand. He would always do this most nights instead of eating dinner with the family. The family was relieved when he would eat meals with, with, with them. When he did eat dinner with them, he would target someone at the table. I'm sorry, the family was relieved when he would not eat dinner meals with them. But when he did eat dinner with them, he would target someone at the table and start to chastise them. Or he would say something to Phyllis that she took offense at hearing, and they would fight. The kids would sit frozen in their seats, unable to eat. One time, their youngest sister Robin, at age two, apparently had concerns about her father's love for, for her family. Sitting in her high chair during one of Wayne's rants, she started saying, Daddy loved Mommy. Daddy loved Linda. Daddy loved Ryan. Daddy loved Lynn. Robin even included the dog. Daddy loved Tuffy. The small Maltese was frequently terrorized by Wayne and eventually was killed by him. Nice guy. Several times, Wayne got up from his seat at the dinner table and threw the family's entire meal up against the wall. Lynn had a fresh pipe and hot pizza thrown at the top of her head by her father. The hot cheese clung to her face and chest. One night, Wayne prepared a spaghetti dinner for the family. Spaghetti was Lynn's favorite. Lynn sat closest to Wayne, on his right, so she was the second person after him to dish up her food. She dished up, so she dished up some spaghetti and took two meatballs that Wayne had handmade. Wayne had apparently counted out the meatballs as he made them, intending for everyone at the table to have exactly one. But he had not told anyone this. When Lynn took her second meatball, unaware of her father's specific count, Wayne became enraged. He pulled her out of the chair by her hair and put her up against the wall. Lynn started to cry, confused. She had no idea what she had done wrong until Wayne started to yell at her for taking two meatballs. Each of the children is only supposed to have one, he bellowed. Her dinner ended up on the wall, and she was told to clean. Lynn was so upset, she didn't eat that night. Nobody did, except for Wayne. The dark presences in the home remained active. The children never knew what was going to happen next. During that time, 
Lynn continued seeing souls entering and exiting through their house. One morning, she went into the bathroom, and there stood a man in a patient gown. He was slender and tall. His features appeared to be African-American. His head appeared to have holes like Swiss cheese. Lynn found out later in life that this was how cancer appeared to her in the dead who have not crossed over. The man had a somber expression. He looked at her, then turned and walked through the exterior wall. Lynn told her mother what she had seen. It was a demon, Phyllis said. No, Mom, Lynn responded. It was a man from the hospital. Phyllis slapped Lynn's arm for back-talking and insisted it was a demon pretending to be a man. Lynn knew what demons looked like. They lurked in the dark shadows in their home, and this certainly did not look like one. Flood advisory. We're under a flood advisory right now, guys. It just flashed up. As it turned out, Lynn's siblings were experiencing things, too. They had just learned quicker than Lynn not to mention it to her, their mother. The violence in Lynn's home increased. Phyllis reached out to the Kingdom Hall as she would show up at church with bruises on her neck and marks on her face. They told her she would have to stay and could not leave her husband. Divorce was not an option unless she could prove Wayne committed adultery. Anything else didn't matter. Wayne wasn't cheating. He was beating. Night after night, Lynn and her siblings would lie in bed listening to their parents arguing in the kitchen. They could not relax or fall asleep and were always on high alert, ready to either run to mom's rescue or run with her out the door seeking safe shelter. One evening after dinner, Lynn and her mother took their dog for a walk. Lynn, now a giant, had an ominous feeling. She told her mother about the dark shadows she had seen in the house. She also told her of the spirit of a man in a patient gown that her brother, Ryan, told her he had seen earlier that day in the hallway by his bedroom. I came out of the bathroom, and the spirit of a man from the hospital was standing there in the hallway, Ryan had said. Phyllis remained silent until Lynn said, I feel heavy, like something is going to happen tonight. I've told you not to speak of these shadows and ghosts. Phyllis snapped. Chastised, Lynn felt ashamed for giving the warning. Later that evening, Lynn, Phyllis, Linda, and Ryan were sitting together at the dining room table playing a card game called Crazy Eight. Lynn could see the dark shadows lurking in the kitchen, just off the dining room where they were all seated. She noticed Ryan looking at them too. Lynn had an ominous feeling and knew something bad was going to happen. Still, she was unprepared for what it actually did. Lynn's father, who had been watching television in the family room by himself, came into the dining room. He made a snide remark to Phyllis about her choice of religion. Are you going to the Kingdom Hall to get... Okay, I want to skip this comment. Rob, for... Just to skip it, okay? Are you going to Kingdom Hall to get tickled with a feather? That's all we're going to say. Wayne was drunk. Phyllis ignored him and continued to play cards. There was a grayish misting in the far corner of the kitchen that seemed to be thickening. God, I hate allergies. It grew and became like a wall. Lynn's father staggered in the kitchen, picked up a serrated steak knife out of the sink, and went back to the dining room. No one saw the knife in his hand. We can't have the holidays anymore because Jehovah's Witnesses don't allow it, Wayne complained in front of the children. Okay, I'm skipping that. Okay. All right, now. Phyllis remained silent. Wayne became aggravated by her silence. Liz saw her father's eyes turn totally black as his voice changed. He started making growling and grunting sounds. Then he lunged to attack Phyllis. Wayne threw Phyllis' chair backwards onto the floor, leaving Phyllis helpless to get away. She was on her back, unable to move in either direction, as the table leg blocked her on one side, and Wayne blocked her on the other. A wall was inches from her head. Wayne made monstrous sounds as he bent over Lynn's mother, choking her with one hand and then taking the knife and placing it at her throat with the other. Phyllis was fighting for her life, trying to get him off of her. Remember, if you don't like what, what you're hearing, just move on. You know, there's no need to turn me into the, to the TikTok police or anything like that. Just move on. There's other places to go, guys. Same for Facebook. Same for YouTube. Just as Lynn's father placed the knife at Phyllis's throat, 
Ryan stood up and grabbed a heavy glass fruit bowl from the table and hit Wayne over the back with it. This broke not only the bowl, but it also broke Wayne's concentration long enough for him to stand up and stagger after Ryan with the knife still in his hand. Ryan was on the phone dialing the police as Wayne came towards him. And his mother was able to get up from the floor and run out the front door with Lena Linda. Ryan, seeing that his father's eyes were still black, dropped the phone and ran out the side door into the street in front of, the, in front of their house. That night, they ran to a partially erected house around the block from their home. It was chilly outside, and they were all barefoot and scared. The house, where they sought refuge, was near a park, with the interstate passing by behind it. The home, a cement foundation, the home, had, the home cement foundation, had been poured, and the cinder blocks' exterior walls erected, but no roof or windows had yet been installed. Phyllis's neck was bruised, and she sounded hoarse when she spoke. Lynn and her siblings pleaded with their mother to never return to their father or that house. They were all traumatized. A few hours later, as they huddled together to stay warm, Lynn's older sister Linda picked oranges from the people's trees from people's trees for everyone to eat. They tried to find a comfortable position to sleep in on the cold concrete slab. They heard their father calling out to them in the dark. Lynn and her siblings pleaded with their mother not to respond, but she did. Back home they went, still afraid. Lynn's mother's reasoning for returning was that their littlest sister, was that, who was barely two years old at the time, was still in the house, sleeping in her room. They pleaded with their mother to leave their father and the haunted home. I do not have grounds to leave, according to the Jehovah Witnesses Bible, Phyllis said, and the house is not haunted. A few days later, when Phyllis left the children at home to go to the grocery store, Lynn's father took the opportunity to corner Ryan outside. His eyes again turned black as he repeatedly kicked Ryan between the legs until Ryan fell to the ground in agony. Lynn heard the commotion and watched helplessly from her bedroom window. Wayne insisted, insisted for Ryan to get up as he laid in agony, gasping for, gasping for breath, though through the intense pain. Once Ryan was standing, Wayne attempted to kick Ryan again and missed. If you ever tell your mother about this, I will get you worse next time, Wayne said. Ryan could hardly stand up. His father attempted to kick him in the groin one more time, but got his knee instead. Lynn told Phyllis when she came back home about what had happened to Ryan. Please don't tell Dad, Lynn begged. I don't want anything to happen to Ryan. Phyllis was angry to hear about the incident, but agreed not to say anything. Lynn's mother went to the church elders again with the, with the bruises still on her neck, explaining that Wayne had tried to kill her, and then sometimes the children were being beaten too. My stepson, Russell, was visiting, Phyllis went on, and Wayne forced Russell's hand onto a hot engine that badly blistered the palm of his hand, then forced him to lie and to claim that he did it to himself by accident in the emergency room. She also told of how demented and insane Wayne's behavior got when he was drunk. Our neighbor's child's ball accidentally came into our yard while they were playing a game next door, Phyllis said. And after a second time, Wayne got up from his chair and went to get the ball as if he was being nice and was going to give it back. He then proceeded to find a fresh pile of dog excrement close by and rub the ball into it then slammed the smeared ball into the face of the child who was waiting for the ball. Wayne would also take his smelly garbage cans, remove the lids, and when the neighbors had their windows open to let in a nice breeze while they slept, he put the cans directly under their windows at night. Then he woke up early and retrieved the cans. She went on to remind them of an incident another church member had reported. Jehovah Witnesses had come to see Phyllis and Wayne chase them out of the yard swinging the electric hedge trimmers at them, almost like a scene from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Phyllis added these details, hoping to convince the elders it wasn't only her having trouble with Wayne and that she needed help. She could not stay there, or she could end up dead. The elders reminded her of what she already knew. Adultery was the only grounds for divorce. The only support system Lynn's mother had besides Wayne was the church, and they were not supporting her in her time of need. They had no recommendation for her or, or her children's safety other than 
prayer. Although one elder and his wife offered their home as a refuge for Phyllis, Lynn and Ryan for a few days. Okay, for Phyllis, Lynn and Ryan for a few days. Linda chose to stay at Wayne's house. So her little sister and dog would not be there alone. Okay. Ironically, Lynn's father ended up serving her mother with divorce papers. He made the family leave the home and would not allow Phyllis to take Robin. Linda decided at the time to stay with Robin and Wayne. Lynn's mother was naive and agreed to share Wayne's attorney. Since she was not working and could not afford one of her own, Wayne took full advantage and got all the marital assets. He gave Phyllis a dilapidated Mustang with holes rusted through the floorboards in the back seat where the children rode and a leaky convertible top. He kept the Cadillac. Nevertheless, it was a relief to Lynn and Ryan to be living with their mother away from the chaos. They had nothing but their clothes, personal items, a blanket, and a pillow each. They shared one and one bedroom apartment. The money Phyllis received from Wayne paid the first and last month's rent, plus a security deposit for the apartment. There was just enough left over to get the lights turned on and buy some food. Phyllis found a job in a store called Grant's that was within walking distance of the apartment complex. This was important as the Mustang broke down frequently and she did not always have the money for the repairs. They could not afford a phone and would walk to the payphone over at a nearby motel. After a few nights of Phyllis, Lynn, and Ryan sleeping on the floor, Wayne finally felt a big guilty and brought over two twin-sized mattresses for them to sleep on. Ryan and Lynn hid in the bathroom when he came. Lynn shared her mattress with Phyllis. Little by little, people gave them things. Sometimes Lynn and her mother and brother would get things out of the trash and fix them up. They frequented a place called Faith Farm, which was similar to Goodwill. Phyllis got a second job and worked at night after her day job. Soon after, she was able to move them into a two-bedroom apartment in the same complex. They still didn't have much, but the trade-off was worth it. No, no fighting parents and no physical abuse. Shortly after getting settled into the two-bedroom apartment, Linda moved in with Phyllis, too, but their youngest sister had to stay behind. Lynn's father refused to give custody of the youngest child to Phyllis. She was working two jobs to support her and her other three children and could not afford daycare for the littlest one. Her child support did not increase when Linda came to live with them. Okay? Linda's mother also became very active in her church. She saved up enough money to obtain her own attorney and took Linda's father back to court to pursue custody of Linda's youngest sister and more child support. Two days before Phyllis could have won her case and 10 months after getting divorced, Phyllis went back and remarried Wayne out of the blue. Linda and her siblings pleaded with their mother and reminded her of the dark shadows and intermittent ghosts in their old, their old home. I will bring you in front of the elders if you do not stop speaking of such things, Phyllis told Lynn. After moving back into the haunted house with her dad, his sister, Robin, Phyllis took Lynn to church on Sunday. Okay, guys, I am going to stop there. Um, it's been almost an hour. I know we started a little late. I apologize, but I have an appointment I have to do at 7.15, so I'm going to have to back off right now. We will continue with this next week, next Sunday at 6 p.m. Pacific, and uh, we'll read more about Lynn Monet. Okay? I want to thank everybody for joining us. I want to do a quick reminder for everybody on TikTok that this is a normal show. This isn't just a Sunday thing. This is a normal show, and we do uh, read. And we read on Sunday, and then Monday through Friday, we have guests that talk about the paranormal and other things. And that's at 6.30 p.m. Pacific every day. I'll usually do a teaser for it on TikTok to get you guys involved. Or you can just check us out at 6.30 p.m. Pacific every day. Uh, how was <clears throat> Excuse me. 6.30 Pacific every day. YouTube.com forward slash at California Haunts Radio. I want to thank you guys for coming. And I really appreciate it. And for the TikTok folks, I will see you later on. Okay, we're back over here. I want to thank you guys for coming tonight, too. Our guest tomorrow, well, I should have announced it on TikTok. Oh, well, I'll just deal with it. Our guest tomorrow is going to be David Oman, who
who owns the Oman House. Now, what's, what's significant about the Oman House? The Oman House was built by David and his father, and it's right next door to the property where the Sharon Tate House was. And Sharon Tate was murdered. And Sharon Tate and four of her friends were murdered by the, by, 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 by the Charles Manson followers back in the 60s. And Mr. Allman says that his house is very, very, very active with dose. Uh, he's going to share some of those stories with us. So that'll be tomorrow at 6.30 p.m. Pacific, okay? All right, I want to let you guys go, and uh, have a great e rest of your evening, and I'll see you tomorrow at 6.30 p.m. Pacific. Have a good one.